0: A wise man once told me, plan your work, then work your plan. Well, that little phrase resonates for this episode of NCJA 1014. Hello, everyone. This is Kirk Puckett. September is National Preparedness Month in planning their work, and when needed, will work out those plans, are emergency management planners from all over North Carolina. Our guest for this episode is one of those. Victoria Cortez is the Emergency Management Planner for Henderson County and serves an additional role as the Preparedness Coordinator for the Department of Health. In these roles, she works with a cross-section of county entities and reviews emergency plans for businesses and assisted living facilities among her many duties. She has an extensive background in the fire service, including 12 years with the North Carolina Forestry Service and another four years with Henderson Fire. Victoria, welcome to NCJA 1014. Really looking forward to this conversation about National Preparedness Month.
1: Thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to be on your podcast. I'm um, turning
0: around. I was driving down quiet. I'm turning around and see if I can find him again. Subject to so you 1074, electronic. i
1: NCJA 1014.
0: Let's not waste any time and get right into it. As mentioned just a moment ago in the introduction, we're putting the spotlight on September being National Preparedness Month. And this may sound like a no-brainer question, but can an individual, an agency, or a community ever be totally prepared for the myriad of possible emergencies?
1: You know, every emergency is different. So while no one can be totally prepared for an emergency, everyone can be more prepared. Whether it's a natural disaster, such as a wildfire, a hurricane, or winter weather, or a public health infectious disease outbreak, such as impox or like we all know, COVID, or even a chemical emergency, such as a train derailment carrying hazardous materials, or as we experienced in North Carolina in the past, a fertilizer warehouse fire, there are fundamental preparations that can be made for all emergencies before they occur. And having these preparations in place ahead of time decreases the amount of major decisions that we have to make in that emergency as it's evolving.
0: Obviously, in your position, as do your counterparts from all over the state, again, as I mentioned in the introduction, y'all are planning usually on a much larger scale. You're looking at the big picture for a community or a particular agency or something along that line. But let's kind of drill that down just a little bit. What about a family household? What can individuals such as myself do to get ready for an emergency?
1: Kirk, the best thing to do is to create a plan. And there are five essential elements to creating a plan. And as I'll give some more information later, uh, ready.gov is a great resource that can walk families through this. But the first step is figuring out how they're going to receive emergency alerts and warnings. Because when emergencies strike, public safety officials are going to use different systems to alert you, but you won't get updated unless you're subscribed. So there are many different different apps people can sign up for or alerts through their county or the city that they live in. Usually these are found on a county's website or a city's website and these early notifications and warnings are imperative to be aware of a potential emergency. The second part is trying to find out what somebody's shelter plan is. And sometimes an emergency requires you to seek protection in your home or at your work or some other location when that happens. And that time can vary from disaster to disaster. And so it's really important that folks stay informed and follow any kind of instructions by local authorities. And choosing to shelter may be necessary for different emergencies, like staying in your home or possibly going to a mass care shelter or sheltering in place, for example, your office. And being prepared with different supplies like food and water and things like that, those supplies that can be found in your emergency supply kit, is very important. Step three for that preparation is knowing your evacuation route. So if you do have to leave wherever you're at, uh, especially your home, because you spend a lot of time there, or your work, knowing exactly what uh, route you would take and then having a backup plan can really save you time. The fourth step is having a household family communication plan. In this world of cell phones, I know I don't memorize phone numbers anymore like I used to. And if you lose your phone or it runs out of battery, you lose your information. So having a paper copy of important phone numbers and a communication plan is also very helpful in emergency It could have things like family phone numbers for um, people that you need to contact later in case of emergency that want to check on you, emails, even social media, as well as medical information, information for schools or child care or caregivers, workplaces, as well as different phone numbers like your doctors and veterinarians that you might need later if you're away from your house. And then the fifth step is creating that emergency preparedness kit. This is a kit that's ready to go at all times with essential items that your family needs in an emergency. Things like several days of water and non-perishable food, uh, cell phone chargers, battery-powered weather radios, flashlights, first aid kits, all sorts of things like that that can just stay in a box that are ready to go and you know exactly where it is in those times of need.
0: Every one of those steps are just absolutely great information. And I think I am the world's worst at thinking, well, that's one of those things I'll get around to. Or, you know, it's not really storm season, so I'll just wait. So I think probably the takeaway for me, and I'm sure most of our listeners, is as you listen to those five steps, is to actually... Take action. Don't put those things off because the next thing you know, you procrastinated yourself into a little disaster or a small emergency or crisis that's popped up, and then obviously it's a little too late. So, so thanks for sharing those because those are really great tips. So, I'm going to kind of peel off of that for just a little bit. I've heard these terms: no notice and notice events. Would you describe those and how plans can be put into place for each? And while we're delving into those, maybe peel back a layer of the preparedness onion as to how these apply to first responders.
1: Sure. Hurricanes, for example, are events that we know they're coming, and those are considered notice events. We have time to plan and prepare, like some storm is churning up in the middle of the ocean, and we can see a path, and we'll say, okay, in five days it's going to be here, and kind of have a idea of an event that's going to happen. A no-notice event refers to an unpredictable disaster such as a train derailment or a structure fire or flooding and associated landslides and those emergencies don't allot the same time of pre-notification but there's still things people can do to be more prepared for the unseen events before they occur. For example, having a plan to evacuate your home and having a designated meeting place installing smoke alarms can save lives in a fire. Similarly, knowing your evacuation route and having that emergency preparedness kit ready to go will be helpful in the train derailment scenario. From a first responder LEO perspective, uh, working through these emergencies, um, if we have the plans in place ahead of the emergency, we can leave assurance that our families that we're leaving at home while we have to go work are going to be ready to go and we can kind of leave knowing, you know, they're in a good place. Also from the first responder and law enforcement perspective, the more training we can do with other emergency organizations in our jurisdiction, the better prepared we are when that emergency occurs. For example. law enforcement will need to make notifications for an immediate evacuation, uh, for example, from the fertilizer plant fire. In this scenario, law enforcement would work with emergency management possibly fire an EMS, and having a tactical plan of how notifications would be made and what specifically will be said can save precious time and provide a consistent and clear message to those effective. For example, you might say, drive this far and over the loudspeaker say this exact message and use your siren this handful of times. And this was a lesson that was learned from that weaver fertilizer plant in Winston-Salem where basically they weren't really they said oh we need to go evacuate all these people and then afterwards they said you know it probably would have been helpful to say specifically this is exactly what we're doing because you want to make sure in an emergency like that people are very panicked and they're leaving their houses immediately and it's very good to have a consistent message of exactly what they um what they need and then to that point it kind of made me think of something else where um, in emergency management specifically we're never, well sometimes we are but most of the time we're not really recreating the will. What we're doing is we're saying this is a lesson learned from this community or this county or this part of the state and then we can utilize it and modify it to fit the needs in our county and so it's really just a great opportunity to learn from other people's experiences and then make our county or our jurisdiction more prepared for future emergencies.
0: Well I feel that goes back to my first question about can you be totally prepared and are you always prepared and and your answer to that was great it it really is kind of an evolving process where you feel like you have made a plan and when you finally get out to work the plan find out that oh gosh you know here's an i that we didn't dot and here's a t that we didn't cross and as you said learning from other communities and sometimes those, let's don't call them failures, but let's just call them maybe missteps are things that can benefit others. And I know that's just kind of an evolving process that you all go through. And to me, it's just amazing. So it does kind of lead me into this next question that I'm pretty confident most people have no clue about the amount of time that communities and individual agencies invest in creating plans for practically every emergency imaginable. But I am confident, given your work history, you probably have some personal experiences. Would you share one of those? And and obviously, there are differences in communities, but at the same time, there are similarities in emergency preparedness. So, I say all that to say, I believe you can probably localize the process from your front row seat.
1: Absolutely. We really do spend a considerable amount of time trying to plan and Think about what potential emergencies might occur. And we have an emergency operations plan, which covers all of those. And um, we also buy a lot of equipment and supplies, and then we train with those things so that when the emergency happens, we're very proficient. We know how exactly to set up a, a large tent or something like that. But one example of a project we recently completed in Henderson County is an integrated response plan for educational facilities. This has been a project that's kind of been uh, ready to go and get initiated, but it got slowed down through COVID and now luckily Um, Since we're over that emergency, we're able to focus on some other things. So here in Henderson County, we worked with multiple partners, including public schools, safety division, law enforcement officers from all different jurisdictions in the county. That was like uh, the sheriff's office, city PD, um, and other local law enforcement agencies, as well as fire departments within specific school districts and emergency services, which included emergency management and the fire marshal's office. So we met from months, and we identified for every school in Henderson County, road closures, primary and secondary staging locations, command post locations, primary and secondary landing zones, media staging. And this would be for any kind of a large-scale event at any school. It didn't necessarily have to be an active assailant, but any kind of large-scale event. And then we created a map for every school. And so there is a specific map with all of those spots designated on it. And then we have wrapped it up into a large PDF with different links so you can go to certain pages quickly, as well as a checklist for an active assailant at a school. And the school system has also rolled out a new standard response protocol, so we've added that. And then at the very end of it, also in an appendix, is a plan of each floor plan for each school. So all of this in one large document. That is electronic and it can also be printed that law enforcement officers, first responders can just have at their fingertips then we don't have to think about where those things are going to be in in times of emergency. And so now that we have that big process over with we're about to start having some tabletop exercises uh, with all those parties law enforcement ems school resource officers the schools themselves and try to work through those plans and get that process kind of streamlined so that if an event were to happen we know exactly where we need to go and kind of have that part already worked out and so what this does is working through this just makes us a stronger team. Um, we're building partnerships and partnerships are really uh, what makes us stronger in emergency. We've worked through all of these things. We've met all of these different times and then, um, then putting it actually boots to the ground. It's, it's a really good feeling to have something like that come to fruition
0: well for me the the takeaway from there is i'm sure it is for a lot of the first responders who are listening there are a couple of things that kind of come back into my memory in public service and i call them the two t's one is talk and it's obvious from your experience that there was a lot of talk between agencies and i find that so vital because i also remember a time probably well before you were born that agencies just did not talk to each other they showed up at a scene and there was chaos simply because there had been no discussions about who was going to do what i mean the term incident command probably didn't develop in my career until sometime in the early to mid 70s but now there's there's time and and there is talk and and of course second to that is the training you can do all the planning you want to do. You can write all the PDFs you want to write. If you don't train for those things, you're going to miss a lot. And, and I think and I'm and I'm just so impressed by hearing what you've done in Henderson County. And I'm sure these these things happen all over the state of North Carolina. But to me, the training aspect of it is so important. And I think the fact that no doubt you're going to be leading some of these tabletop exercises. And is that just something that, you know, is an integral part of making these plans come together?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think it's imperative. We can write plans all day and they do nothing if they just sit on the shelf. And so it's super, super important to actually get the folks out, pull those plans out, look through them. Um, And the first step, I think a really easy to manage step is a tabletop exercise. And then following that up with a functional exercise where you're actually doing this and setting things up, you know, on the ground. But a quicker and first step is to just sit around a table and say, okay, this situation happened and what are we going to do about this and where are we going to set up this and what resources are we going to call now and kind of talk through that. And then when we go to actually do that at a school or something like that somewhere in the community, it's a lot easier because we've already kind of that muscle memory, you know, that's with all sorts of first responder training is is muscle memory. We've already looked at that. We know where those things are. We know where to pull that out of. And it's second nature. So, yeah, training is essential because you can only go so far with a piece of paper.
0: Prove that. Well, Victoria, as we begin to wind down this episode of NCJA 1014, is there anything else we as individuals can do to learn more about emergency preparedness? And I guess more specifically, what kinds of resources are available to help us become more aware and maybe more importantly, more ready?
1: Yes. So ready.gov is an amazing resource, and it's a really easy website to remember. There are a ton of resources available, and they're very easy to understand and use. There are templates and printouts that anybody can utilize, as well as resources for kids to help kids understand preparedness. Uh, They even have uh, information grouped by age, like kids, teens, family, as well as educators, and they make it fun. Um, There's this little Pedro the penguin that can help children understand little um, preparedness messages. It's really great other ways to get more involved is a first responder. I know in Henderson County, we have a local incident management team. Uh, we meet once a month, and it's a really great opportunity to get involved and see things like incident action plans or IEPs being developed for events or creating maps for events like a lost person, for example. We recently had a training where we have this application. It's called Sartopo, and we use it, and now we're using it with our law enforcement agencies. So as they are looking for a lost person, we can track where they are in the field so we can see in real time, oh, our this officer has gone here, or this team has gone here, or the rescue squad is here. And we can kind of pinpoint things like that of where we need to look. So that's been invaluable. But also creating that partnership is so important. And um, with the fellow responders. And I think, you know, it's not just for the chiefs of the departments. I think it's really important for people of all ranks to get involved in things like that because when an emergency happens, the chiefs might be at a conference on the other side of the state, you know? So it's really important for all of us to to be little leaders in our own right and kind of get involved because when situations happen like that, we need every all hands on deck. I think building relationships is the most important aspect of preparedness uh, for a first responder. Knowing who you can call for any given situation in your time of need is, is really imperative. It's like, it was not before my time, the Rolodex. It's like having a Rolodex, you know, of business cards, but really it's just relationships. Um, handshakes go a long way. And thankfully, now that COVID's over, we can start seeing people and having meetings again in person that's what it's all about. It's just creating those relationships.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing to see the technological change that we have gone from the Rolodex to the mobile data terminal. That's, uh, (laughs) I'm fortunate to have seen both of those. Victoria, thank you so much for your insight and more especially for the service that you're providing to the residents of Henderson County. That's, you're just valuable.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, we've all heard that special tone on radio and TV alerting us to the emergency action notification test. We're reminded that in the event of an actual emergency, the tone would be followed by official news and information. It's all part of the plan for those who spend their days planning for the worst and hoping for the best. September is National Preparedness Month, and my guest on this episode of NCJA 1014 has been Victoria Cortez, the Emergency Management Planner for Henderson County. On behalf of the North Carolina Justice Academy, this is Kirk Puckett. And until our next episode of NCJA 1014, please stay safe. NCJA
1: 1014.